Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. Jack, um, I'm sorry, uh, but Jack is taking another sick uh, day, week um, from the show. Um, as I mean, look, he's been using up those six days uh, left and right. I, I don't know what's going on. He's claiming um, that they hit him. Well, uh, with the CIA, with some of the like vomit guns or uh, guns that they tried to take out Castro with, um, because he was in Nevada uh, during the caucus, and you know he was a rabble rouser. He was giving it to the MSNBC crew. He was giving it to Julian Castro for breaking the rules. But he's sick again, uh, and I'm here uh, hosting the show by myself. Still getting paid though for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know. I guess because we're socialists and we believe in uh, suburban people, even if they get ill, but um, whatever. But I do have a very special guest today, someone I've wanted to have on for a very long time, someone whose work has meant a lot to me, because I remember seeing him, uh, watching him on TV during my political waking time and time again. Uh, you may have seen him as I did on Democracy Now. You can currently uh, find his work at uh, the Gray Zone, uh, Max Blumendahl's Fine Outlet. We had Max on a few weeks ago, uh, and he is the host of his own show called Pushback. Aaron Monte, thank you for joining us. Leslie, thanks for having me. I'm sorry Jack isn't here because I really wanted to argue with him about why Saturday Night Live is the greatest show and funniest show on television. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's too it's too bad um, that he's not here. Maybe it was Michael Che who got him with the with the flu gun with the. With, <laughs> but uh, Che Gate, Che Gate, yes. Um, but I, I brought you here today to talk about another gate uh, that mm. you've been at the forefront on. I have to give myself credit. I, I, I've been there with you. I've never, you know, I've been I've always been, you know, very skeptical of this. And you've been one of the one, people who's been very uh, skeptical of this the entire time. You never, no matter how much pressure you got, no matter how much pushback you got, <laughs> you never backed down and actually uh, believed in this crap. And that's, of course, uh, Russiagate. Um, Russiagate, we, we've done several episodes, you know, pushing back on a narrative against. Is that why you call the show pushback? Uh, no, that's not just why. I just, you know, but I do like I do like the you know, when I interview people, I do like to push back, especially, you know, back when I was covering Russiagate at The Real News, where I was for a bit, I would have on anyone I could who was a proponent of Russiagate, and I would love to get into debates with them and have them actually have to substantiate their views that everywhere else were being taken at face value and U.S. intelligence claims were being taken on faith. And I, I love to, you know, not just on this issue, but especially on this issue, uh, pushback, because the propaganda was just so pervasive and the journalism, except for at outlets like yours and mine, was just so derelict. All right. And I well, thank you so much uh, for praising my outlet as journalism. Um, I really appreciate that. But uh, since we don't have pro Russiagate people on, could you possibly, if, if it's not too much to ask, make <laughs> the best case now 
<laughs> for Russiagate, the best pro Russiagate case that you've heard, citing all the you know rock solid evidence they have of whatever Russiagate is, because I'm not even sure at this point. Well, you can't make a rock solid case, but you can make a case by taking a lot of things on faith while discarding the fact there's not concrete evidence behind them. So you could claim that Russia waged a interference campaign in 2016 by saying that they stole Democratic Party emails. Um, And there were some Russian intelligence officers who were indicted for it. I don't think that the case that has been laid out actually establishes the case. I don't think it supports it. I think there are actually questions about it. But you know what? Even if it's true, even if Russia did steal Democratic Party emails, uh, you still have a hard time making the case that they waged this like sweeping and systematic interference campaign, given that the other part of it, that given the other part that is supposed to be a part of it, is really just a juvenile Russian troll farm operation that posted silly memes that mostly had nothing to do with the election. And then there's the case that Donald Trump and his campaign conspired with it, which I don't know. If you're still trying to make that case now, then you're I mean, you might still have a place on MSNBC. But amongst rational, sane people, it's just so ridiculous that to even try to entertain it is just it's it's a joke. Yeah, because it's based on the thing where like Trump said, hey, they should at a rally. He said, hey, you know, next hack, you know, Hillary's emails now that you've got pedestrians or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, literally, it's based on citing jokes that Trump made, like, at a press conference in in the summer of 2016, where he says, Russia, if you're listening. And that is, like, seen by some people as some sort of evidence that he's engaged in a secret treasonous plot with Russia. And, you know, it's crazy to think back about how much time was wasted on all these various little parts of the overall conspiracy theory. So the the secret server communicating between Alpha Bank, a Russian bank, and Trump Tower, the P-tape, Michael Cohen, whether he went to Prague, <laughs> Paul Manafort getting poll data, and then passing that on to the Russians, who then used this as part of a sweeping social media operation targeting Americans in different states and convincing blacks not to vote in Michigan. And I'm, the reason I use those words is because that's a direct quote from Hillary Clinton, where she argued recently that that Russian social media ads helped convince blacks not to vote in Michigan. I mean, the absurdity on its face is just so dumb. And then when you look at the actual, you know, evidence that is adduced for it, it's just not there. It's all ridiculous. Yeah, and the fact that she didn't do she do, her campaign deliberately did not campaign in Michigan in order to fake Trump out. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like, I've been making the argument that the whole Russia Gate thing whatever it is that suggesting that russia was trying to help trump get elected and call syria the election that was like their second case uh for why she lost after blaming james comey mm-hmm. who became a hero during russia gate somehow mm-hmm. yes well you know and that is that's a result of a um of a deliberate decision there there's a book called shattered which reports that within a day or two of hillary clinton's loss Her aides all gathered, and they decided that the election was not on the up and up, that it had been tainted. It was compromised, and they decided that the main culprits were James Comey and Russian interference. 
the one they really ran with was Russian interference. And uh, they, um, alongside people from the Obama administration, uh, really worked hard to spread this notion amongst uh, the U.S. media and then onto the American people that, that the reason that they lost was not because of Hillary Clinton's actual record, not because, as you say, they deliberately did not go to Michigan, because her own people told her that the more we go to Michigan, the worse we do. You know, not because they themselves are the ones who deliberately elevated Donald Trump. You know, Bill Clinton called Trump and encouraged him to run. We have those internal uh, DNC messages talking about the Pied Piper strategy where they wanted to elevate Trump because they thought that he was the weakest candidate. Um, not because of the failures of the of the Obama administration and their their failure to deliver hope and change as they promised. I mean, on and not because of voter suppression or dark money, all these, you know, uniquely and distinctly American systemic issues, but because it was Russia's fault and that it was, it was successful and their own cynical interest, which by the way, was not just about deflecting responsibility for losing 2016. It was also about refusing to undergo the transformation that should have resulted from it because Trump yeah. after all ran as an anti-establishment candidate. He painted himself, falsely, of course, as being a champion of the working class and as being opposed to costly and destructive regime change operations abroad in Iraq, Libya, and Syria. It was all a con. But So the obvious thing for Democrats to do, if they wanted to beat Trump and pose a serious alternative to him, was to come up with an actual anti-establishment agenda. The problem is, is that doing that would threaten the privilege and power uh, that they all enjoy inside the system that Trump fooled people into thinking he was running against. So they needed to deflect. And so Russiagate was a very convenient foil. And their interest dove, happened to dovetail with elements of the national security state whose agenda and position also was in some ways threatened by Trump, uh, although not as much as, as I think they may have thought. Because, yeah. you know, Trump ran as an opponent of regime change and proxy wars. He also called for having better relations with Russia. And both those things and the appeal of those things to uh, whoever Trump convinced to vote for him was a threat to people like John Brennan, who oversaw the, the, uh, the dirty war in Syria and who was you know, involved in the Iraq war scam and, and, and his colleagues. And they also, these are people who don't see Russia as someone that we should work with, but as an adversary and an adversary who kind of justifies their existence because tensions with nuclear-armed Russia are dangerous for the world, but they're very profitable for a very small group of people uh, in Washington and the weapons contractors that they work for and are funded by. So it was a perfect convergence of cynical interests, and that plus a media that is always looking for an excuse to pose as being a you know, uh, 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 check on power and as brave truth-tellers while really serving the establishment that owns the media. It, it was a perfect convergence because in the case of, of Trump and Putin, they could pretend that they're holding Trump to account by trying to say that we're going to find out the real story of his missing links to Putin, the real blackmail that Putin has over him. They can pretend that they're holding Trump accountable while really serving the same uh, cynical interests um, that both own the media and that were benefiting by having everyone distracted by this dumb Russia gate thing. 
Yeah, uh, you mentioned something a, a little bit back about basically how Russiagate allowed the Democrats not to have like a reckoning. It allowed them to not to undergo a post-mortem um, as fellow uh, campaigns do all the time. I think we remember, I'm, I'm sorry, I certainly remember when, uh, what was it, when uh, the Republicans lost to Obama, both times there were like, there was an entire news cycle about where does the party go from here? What do they have to do to win victory? And what do they have to change about themselves in order to overcome uh, this defeat? And with Russiagate, the Democrats were able to just kind of hand wave that way and say it wasn't our fault. It was Russia. And that's kind of important uh, and brings us to this new iteration of Russiagate, because if they had done that postmortem, there's no doubt that the thing that they would have come away with is um, we should have backed Bernie Sanders or at least pretended to back his policies. <laughs> like, exactly. and just lie exactly. and just Hillary Clinton could just lie and say, OK, I'm going to do Medicare for all. OK, I'm going to do student loan forgiveness. That's what Democrats do. She's like it was very strange that her position was no, 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 when she could have just lied, lied, lied and possibly uh, won the election. Election. And so since they never did that post uh, mortem and never did that reckoning, they uh, kind of got high off their own supply for these past four years and actually believed that they won. Um, they should have won and they didn't have to change anything in order to win again. In comes the 2020 election. Iowa, Bernie wins. Mm -hmm. New Hampshire, Bernie wins. Mm -hmm. Nevada Bernie wins. Well, I, I, I guess it's the first two, really, uh, before they uh, hastily deployed uh, the Russiagate thing. So be, so right before ne Nevada, they came out. There was this uh, report from The Washington Post right before voting. So kind of too late to do any damage and too early for it to, like, affect the uh, election in South Carolina and Su Super Tuesday coming up. They put out that story that Russia is trying to uh, intelligence officials say that Russia is trying to help Bernie. Aaron, is Russia trying to help Bernie? Well, no, there's no evidence presented at all. And even the story. Uh, has been now uh, changed. Yeah. You know, CNN reported that three people said that the person who made this briefing um, and made this assessment uh, misrepresented it. And you know, look, there's even if it were true that Russia has a preference for 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 Bernie, they don't specify how uh, exactly Russia would supposedly help Bernie. Are they would they steal some emails for him or put out some dumb social media ads that nobody sees? They don't specify it because it's not the point. It's not about anything actually real. It's about scaring people and using Russia as this sort of nonstop um, uh, bad guy where anything that the establishment does not want can simply be ascribed to Russia and deemed to be in the interests of Russia. So it's no difference here with Bernie. Bernie is surging, as you say, and this comes after, you know, Four years of avoiding the reckoning that should have happened after 2016. And it's funny, you mentioned, it, it, you're right. I never thought about that, but it's so true. Hillary Clinton could have pretended <laughs> to embrace Bernie's agenda. Instead, she picked Tim Kaine yeah. for her vice presidential running mate, this <laughs> bland senator from Virginia who no one cares about, who has no agenda. And people like Lynn manuel Miranda try to make him look cool. I mean, remember <laughs> that, that clip of him going like, Tim Crane in the membrane. You know, they, they Aaron, tried. I could not forget 
that sound bit if I wanted to, and I do want to. It's one of the most horrifying things I've ever heard. I'm sorry to bring it up again, but it's 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 so that's what they. This was so. This is how delusional these people were, and yeah, and this Russia thing allowed them to avoid the very basic reckoning that that should have happened. But now they can't because now Bernie Sanders' candidacy is surging, and it's offering people an alternative to Trump for the first time they haven't had. For the last three years, the alternative, the answer to Trump has been a patrician former FBI director, Robert Mueller, who helped peddle the Iraq war hoax because he served under Bush. He rounded up hundreds of Muslims and immigrants after 9-11 and put them in in harsh detentions. Um, He uh, helped cover up Saudi Arabia's ties to the 9-11 hijackers, whatever they were. Um, He actually... He actually has a major role in the financial crisis because after 9-11, he took hundreds of uh, FBI agents who were investigating white-collar crimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Off of white-collar prosecutions. And he put them into counterterrorism where they were apparently pretty useless anyway. And so when the financial crisis happened, there was so many – there was like the ability for the FBI to prosecute – Financial cases at home was totally gutted. I just learned this recently. But anyway, this guy was was deemed to be our hero. And, you know, remember the excitement of the first couple of weeks or months of Trump's presidency when you had the Women's March, you had uh, protests over uh, the, the Muslim ban, people going to the airport. Yeah, that huge protest. That, that was exciting. But all of that receded. And the way to resist Donald Trump was then now to put our faith in Robert Mueller and watch CNN or MSNBC every day to find out the latest details of his investigation. And the only time liberals were called out to the streets, with a couple of exceptions, was to do things like save Jeff Sessions' job, literally. So in November 2018, (laughs) there was a massive liberal rally organized by Move On and other groups to save Jeff Sessions after he got fired because people thought that that was a threat to the Mueller investigation. So there were bigger threats. So there were, there were bigger protests, li- bigger liberal protests to save Jeff Sessions' job than to save things like the Iran nuclear deal. So we had under, under Trump, in, in, instead of a, you know, a, a move towards focusing on his actual policies, developing alternatives and taking on the establishment, you had a deepening of liberal support for the for a different wing of the establishment, yeah, yeah, as personified in Robert Mueller, and of course, you know, it, it crashed in spectacular fashion when he finishes his investigation. No one's indicted for a Trump Russia conspiracy because, because of, of course, there's just nothing to find. There's barely even any contact between Trump people and anybody actually acting on behalf of the Russian government. Um, so it's really hard to make a case that there's even the basis for any kind of conspiracy when you have so little contact between the two sides purportedly doing the conspiring. And that's because, of course, the investigation itself was launched, as we've learned more and more recently with the Inspector General's report, um, on such a thin pretext. It was based on basically what somebody overheard in a bar and passed on to the FBI. And that was the basis for this massive counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign, which was, you know, it got way out of hand. And also based on this stupid Steele dossier, which is paid for by the Clinton campaign, which contain the allegations about the P tape. It's almost it's 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 almost insulting to talk about because it's so dumb. But it, it collapses with Mueller not returning a single indictment about a Trump Russia conspiracy, and then he goes before Congress where Adam Schiff and are, is counting on him to deliver a big day that can somehow justify the previous 
two plus years of madness. And Mueller is out of it and doesn't even know the basic details of his own investigation. So it was such a joke. And then, of course, they tried to uh, cover that up by by doubling down with Russiagate 2.0, which was impeachment. That was even more of a failure because I think Trump's poll numbers went up even higher than they did after the failure of, of Russiagate yeah, 1.0. Yeah, yeah. And now we're left now. Now we're come to uh, this election. And it's great to see Bernie surge now. But it's just so maddening to think about the lost energy yeah. and time, all this time wasted on all these dumb things that don't mean anything anymore, like the P-tape and Michael Cohen in Prague and all these stupid details. All the energy that, that, that was put into uh, worshiping Robert Mueller and saying Mueller time every day could have been put into organizing people around issues that impact their lives. And it's wonderful that Bernie Sanders is doing it now. But just imagine what could have been accomplished if we had done that throughout the, you know, the entire Trump presidency when he was doing so much damage that was being overshadowed by this Russia bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I just realized that when you're saying it, like the the four years, it's going to be four years spent on this, you know, pointless bullshit instead of actual the Democrats, even like the fucking hacks in the party, like they're screwing over themselves by not focusing on real issues that actually affect real people. It's like they're even hurting themselves and they really hurt themselves because they didn't see Bernie Sanders coming. They could have built in a lab a (laughs) fake bernie sanders in this time to take all the energy away from him that's what they thought pete was but he wasn't i mean that's what i i don't know it's just so bizarre to me that they spent all this time on this you know pointless bullshit and now they're just caught and they have like no defenses against either sanders or really trump at this point and it's just like they're out of the game now but you know what? That actually makes me think that maybe there is one positive that we can draw from Russiagate. It was a massive waste of time. It was poisonous for U.S.-Russia relations, which I think was actually part of the intended goal from hawks in Washington who don't want to have better relations with Russia because it justifies their American exceptionalist view of the world and also justifies their their funding from weapons contractors yep. and all that. But maybe the one positive is that it occupied failed neoliberal centrist enough where it they were so caught up in it and so convinced that it was real that uh it uh it, it weakened their ability to co- co- to concoct as you say <laughs> a fake version of bernie you know and so that when bernie comes along and he, he's killing it he's he's leading all the polls he's won the first three states he's about to have a big day on on super tuesday they had not they they, uh, they had no answer and we're seeing that now with these desperate attempts to, to, to bring him down and the fact that the, the whole field is split. And Michael Bloomberg appears to be their best hope, which is just so <laughs> funny on its face. So maybe actually you, you, you've just identified the one good thing to come out of Russia. <laughs> yeah, and Bloomberg is the one who broached this at the last debate. Um, I would highly recommend if you did not watch it, do not watch it. It was the worst. <laughs> it was going to be the worst one because it was the one – where they all like they've all seen that Bernie Sanders is number one. And instead mm-hmm. of being like smart or strategic and one of either, you know, Buttigieg, Warren, Klobuchar, Biden saying, hey, actually, we can't take any of Bernie's 30 percent of the vote. But I can chip at, you know, one of these other people's, you know, 10 percent of the vote because their fans aren't as loyal as, as Bernie fans. So I sh- we should be attacking each other. Instead, they all went after Bernie. It was, you know, horrible debate to watch, but great strategy for Bernie because like 
if you're going to make an election, a referendum on a candidate, that candidate usually wins, especially when that candidate is the most popular politician in the country. If all you want to do is ask the American people, do you like Bernie Sanders or not? I'm sorry, but the answer is going to be yes, they do like Bernie Sanders. Totally. And you saw what Bloomberg did. The first thing he tried was try to invoke Russia. He said something about like, you know, uh, Russia is supporting yeah. your, your, your campaigns. The first thing he tried because that's how desperate they are. And the problem is it's not going to fly. The reason it was able to work for three years and people weren't able to call it out for the bullshit that it is, is for one, they were given no alternative. So it was constantly Russia, Russia, Russia all the time. And for people who are, you know, legitimately traumatized and aggrieved by Trump's victory, if you're constantly being told by everybody that this is the answer, that this is going to bring Trump down, then, you know, it was comforting and it was easy to latch on to. And the media employed so and, and people like Adam Schiff just so deployed so much disingenuousness to make people believe that there was something actually there and so much awful reporting, you know, making every small possible thing to be evidence or pointing to evidence of a hidden Russia conspiracy that was about to be uncovered. Uh, but it just wasn't there. And so it was easy to get caught up in it, I think, for some people while it was happening. But now it's collapsed. There's no more hope anymore of it stopping Trump because Robert Mueller, you know, fizzled out. He's gone. Impeachment fizzled out. We don't even talk about it anymore. Impeachment was like, a, impeachment's a big deal. And it yeah. occupi- <laughs> occupied the country for like, I don't know, at least a couple of months. Now we don't even talk about it. And all the details that consumed, you know, elite media for weeks when we are just gone. We don't even talk about that anymore. So now we, we have, but now we have an actual alternative and a real, uh, someone who poses a real threat to stopping Trump. And he's doing so also on issues that actually impact people's lives. So trying to stop him now by reviving the Russiagate thing is just not going to work because at this point, outside of like, you know, cable news hosts and media pundits and some think tanks and maybe Adam Schiff, no one cares about this stuff anymore. It, it, it just doesn't have the impact that it used to. Yeah, you mentioned cable news hosts. And this is kind of a funny story that MSNBC, uh, a leak actually, um, that came out from MSNBC, I think from the president of MSNBC. So apparently they've looked around and figured out that um, all the people that they keep bringing on the show um, hate, viscerally hate the Democratic front runner who is going to run away with the election. It, it took him a few weeks to figure this out, um, that actually, instead of being the liberal version of Fox News, as far as Bernie Sanders goes, they are Fox News. You will hear the <laughs> same thing about Bernie Sanders on MSNBC as you will Fox News. In fact, Fox News is nicer a lot of the times they are to nice, Bernie yeah. Sanders. And, so, we, yeah. and you have all these pundits from, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to call them out by name because they're, they're ha- cause they're actually in trouble now because yeah. MSNBC is saying, okay, we need to bring on some people who don't hate the guts of the guy who's going to be the Democratic nominee um, against Trump and who don't, who haven't spent the past three years saying how he's a, how Sanders is a racist, sexist, homophobic um bigot who needs to be destroyed because they tried to crush him and it didn't work it just mm-hmm. didn't work there were there's a there was a segment on msnbc right before iowa where a woman 
who they were asking voters who they were voting for and why. And a woman said, you know, I like all the candidates, but I watch MSNBC and all you do is trash him. And yep. because you trash him so much, that makes me support him. And mm-hmm. so MSNBC is having this kind of a wake up moment. And all these pundits are going to have to start having to sing for their supper because being anti Bernie Sanders is no longer as profitable uh, a position for a pundit. And some of them are coming around. Joy and Reed, she's coming around. She's coming on Team uh, Bernie. But it's just interesting to me that it took them so long to realize that they couldn't stop burning. And you can't be MSNBC who hates the Democratic president. I mean, I mean, and it's not to say that Ber- President Bernie Sanders shouldn't be criticized by journalists or whatever fairly. I think he should be much more, so, uh, even more so than Obama, MSNBC did to Obama. But certainly for their pocketbook and their general posture to be uh, further to the right of Bernie Sanders than Fox News is, is a problem that they now have to try and figure out and solve. It is. And it will be interesting to see how they solve it. They have to throw the actual progressive left a bone. But of course, they're going to try to co-opt yes. anyone they can. And when they talk about now bringing on Sanders voices, I'm sure that these are going to be the most watered down Sanders, pro-Sanders voices possible. And especially going to be watered down when it comes to foreign policy, because that is the sort of red line that that you can't cross in American politics. You can, it's you know because of Bernie Sanders and his movement, um, it's you know it's become okay now to talk about having health care for everybody. That's they, he is him Sanders and his movement have put that in the mainstream. And by the way, I, I think it's important to, to stress that what these MSNBC people hate about Bernie. It's not just him, you know, uh, it's also the fact that he has a movement behind him, you know. Yes. In U.S. politics, you're not supposed to, uh, like, for average people who aren't elites and, and pundits, your involvement in U.S. politics is supposed to be once every four years. You know, when you go, you show up at the ballot box, you you, you pick. Well, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on that. I think that's the Democratic Party specifically. I think Republicans actually are a little bit better at bringing, at least in the past recent years with the Tea Party thing, they right. were able to embrace it as opposed to what the Democrats do. Fair enough. So, yeah, so especially in the, in the Democratic Party, you're supposed to be spectators. You know, Obama, you, you remember when he won and ever, we were all so excited. You know, I got caught up in it. It was an exciting time. Yeah. And he had that movement, um, uh, you know, his grassroots campaign. Everybody was so fired up. He gets elected, and what did he do? He told everyone to go home. He's like, I got it from here. <laughs> and he hired a bunch of uh, you know, uh, Clinton administration retreats. And, 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 and so, hey, hey, to be fair, he hired some Johns. He hired he, the pod save guys. At the pods. Yes, he had the pod save guys, exactly. Uh, and you know, so Bernie Sanders has destroyed that model. He has an organized base, and people were organized, and, and, he, and he says, like, I'm going to be the organizer in chief. Like, I don't want you to stay home when a president... I want you to push me on issues because we need it. That's what democracy is all about. These people have contempt, not just for progressive ideas, but for actual democracy where citizens are not just people who watch their cable TV shows, but who are actually involved and engaged in the issues that impact their lives. So that's why they're so alarmed by Bernie. But I, you know, they're going to have to throw his movement a bone, but I don't think they're going to allow, they're not going to allow anybody, for example, who criticizes Russiagate and calls it out as a scam. That's obvious. But they're also, I don't think, going to, you know, to Bernie Sanders, although I don't, although he doesn't go nearly as far that I wish he would on foreign policy, he does have a, a very different take on, 
U.S. foreign policy than everybody else. And I think those people inside his movement are not going to be allowed to go on places like MSNBC because ultimately, and Russiagate was an extension of this, it's they sustain themselves on this idea of America being exceptionalist and, uh, and you know, any attack on our pristine democracy via stolen emails and, and juvenile social media memes is literally another 9-11. Like, that's how it was presented to us. And to 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 buy in to push that narrative, you have to really believe that we are this uniquely amazing country that does good in the world and that you know is justified in waging proxy wars. You know, in, in large in large part, not 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 entirely, but to weaken Russia and to exert our our hegemony over the entire planet. And I don't think anybody from the Sanders camp who questions that will be allowed on. But still, listen. The fact that MSNBC will be forced to have on people who support single-payer health care, who support a you know a regulation of Wall Street is still a wonderful thing. And it, it just speaks to the power of Sanders and his movement. And that, that is something to celebrate. Yeah. So you mentioned um, red lines in American politics, especially when it comes to uh, talking about uh, news. And there was a journalist recently who crossed that red line. It's a red line that, you know, we on Struggle Selection – you know, have been pointing out and criticizing a lot. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the Disney, Marvel, Star Wars red line. If you're going on, uh, if you want to have a career in media, you cannot take a stance against um, the the new Star Wars uh, films. I I know, you know, you usually cover, you know, stuff like Russiagate and these international things, but I think this is important too, you know, maybe maybe possibly even more important uh, taking a stand against the new Star Wars movie. And, <laughs> and there was a guy with ABC News, and I, I want to get his name right because he seems like a good dude, uh, uh, David Wright, um, who uh, reports for uh, apparently World News Tonight, Good Morning America, Nightline. He was um, the target of a sting by Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, uh, but the interesting thing is they weren't really stinging him. He didn't really say, uh, James O'Keefe's piece of sh- racist piece of shit, uh, goes around trying to get, um, left wingers, uh, to say stuff that's, you know, uh, kooky or crazy so he can post a video and get them fired or whatever. Uh, be on the lookout for that if you're listening to it. If you're organizing for Sanders, this guy, guy might be out there, uh, looking for you. But mm. he got David Wright on the hot mic, but he didn't, actually say anything bad that would reflect badly on himself but he said things that reflected badly on abc news he pointed Mm. out that they don't talk about the issues that you know americans really care about and that really affect them and he thinks that you know they often do their type of coverage often do does a disservice this is like perfectly fair stuff for i think a journalist to say now he does mention that he personally is a not just a democrat socialist but a socialist um which is cool um but and to be clear james o'keefe did not actually hit him up for that he was he hit him up he was hitting up abc for for not being you know good news for people and i think the red line that david wright crossed because he was suspended by immediately by abc after this was that he criticized how much uh 
their network promotes Disney stuff because Disney mm-hmm. owns ABC. Uh, I'll quote them here. Like, uh, so like now you can't watch Good Morning America without there being a Disney princess or a Mar- Marvel Avenger appearing. It's all self-promotional. And they suspended this man for this. They say that him saying this damages our reputation for fairness and impartiality. Mm -hmm. And they're going to suspend him. And when he comes back, they're going to reassign him away from politics entirely. Completely and utterly bizarre because nothing he said... It like it, even like uh, the right even James O'Keefe did not object to what he was saying. He supported what he was saying and the criticism of ABC News. It speaks to how the entities that deliver us our news and information are, are not actual <laughs> journalism entities. They're entertainment uh, vehicles uh, for profit. And this guy making some mild comments. Um, about that are just so transparently obvious that that these corporate giants have become uh, essentially rackets where to promote their own products. It, it's um, you know, the fact that he gets suspended and and now moved off of politics is just it speaks to how just how covering politics accurately just that's not what we're supposed to be here for. <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to be here to make money for whatever corporate giant happens to own us and it's a it's been a really it's it, it's it's weird you know i um i got into journalism having actual really mainstream ambitions i you know i wanted to i i thought that was possible even though i i you know i'm a leftist i always have been i just thought that there would still be room for me inside of it but i've just learned uh how easily the system imposes conformity and what's interesting is that it it doesn't just extend to the corporate media system, it's really, it, it also touches progressive and adversarial media too, how, where if you go against the, the, the fashionable narrative, then you're excommunicated. I saw this with Russiagate where because this was framed as the way to oppose Trump, so many smart people who I, you know, I've known for, for a while, who I've worked with, got duped by it and failed to see, failed to first of all, apply the evidentiary standards that we, we should apply to all stories, no matter our political feelings about them. And also, B, didn't didn't see just how politically damaging this was to actual progressive causes. And for for going against that, I found it increasingly difficult to uh, to reach people. And I, I found myself getting left out of spaces that I previously was, was welcomed into. So, you know, for example, I mean, I, I've said this before, but Democracy Now!, where I learned how to do journalism, which I think has set the standard for journalism, they bought into it. You know, they occasionally brought on Glenn Greenwald to debunk it. But if Glenn wasn't there doing it, if Glenn hadn't been a a famous Pulitzer Prize winner, I don't think they would have uh, turned to him because meanwhile, the guests that they had on and the way that they're they're reporting it themselves was entirely giving it credence and taking it seriously. And uh, it's just, um, it's been crazy to see. And you can take that to other issues too that are you know considered to be complicated or difficult like Syria and uh you other targets of US regime change it's especially on these issues that touch on american exceptionalism where even the censorship uh, extends beyond the corporate media and that is a it's a scary thing and it, it speaks to just the necessity of having independent media and really 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 independent media because 
the moment you start relying on foundations and uh, big, huge donors, it's just your ability to be uh, compromised, um, or at least your ability to your 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 the potential for you to conform is just, is just that much greater. Well, speaking of that independent media and you know that necessary space we need to create for people who you know aren't owned by think tanks or corporations where can people find the pushback and support you Aaron so pushback is at the gray zone so at the gray zone.com and uh, I work there with Max Blumenthal our, our editor and Ben Norton and Anya Parnpale and Anya hosts a, show, a great show too called Redlines. so yeah you can go to the gray zone.com and uh, you can see the videos I do there and articles and, and just you know especially on issues of foreign policy. I just think the gray zone, I'm biased obviously, but the gray zone to me is so invaluable. Max and Ben took so much heat for their stances for, you know, exposing the dirty war in Syria, but they've been, they've been proven to be exactly right. And, you know, I, I've, you know, I've kind of stayed away from Syria until recently when there's been this massive scandal that's been uncovered at the OPCW where basically some dissenting experts revealed that their findings uh, had been excluded and suppressed to produce a report that effectively justified a a Trump administration airstrike on Syria in April 2018. And so I've been I've been all over that story. And um, that's something that I just that, again, is is being ignored by other progressive and adversarial sites, speaking of what I was just talking about earlier. So, yeah, the gray zone dot com is where you can find me. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Leslie, thanks for having me. All right, folks, that was Struggle Session. Have a good one.
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.